Well, good morning, people of God. Good morning. Good morning. We are thankful that we are able to gather again to study God's word. And as we know, we are looking at the book of John. There's just so much information in the book of John to be unpacked that here we are in our fifth Bible study session in the book of John. And today we're going to move to part two. It took us four sessions to get through part one, which is the introduction to the book of John. So first, as we prayed uh, earlier, we prayed before our Bible study sessions, and we just invite the Holy Spirit to be with us, that as we talk, as we discuss the scriptures, that God will speak to our hearts and our minds, and that he will open our minds and our hearts to hear and see what he will have us to hear and see from his word. We are always thankful when we have special friends who come and join us, so I just want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. If you are viewing us on uh, Instagram or on our website, I want to invite you to please go back and look at video sessions one, two, three, and four, because in those sessions, we set the foundation. Uh, John does a terrific job in setting the foundation for his book. And so just as a recap, very what it is that we really need to take away from verses 1 through 18. And I'm not going to read those. I do want to highlight a couple of things so that we stay on track as we go through the book of John. As we said in the very first session, John begins his book, this Gospel of John, by identifying his claims regarding who Jesus is. As we've already said several times and will continue to say it, John was that disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's the only disciple or person that we have in Scripture that says whom Jesus loved. John was, was so close to Jesus that the Word tells us that John reclined back on Jesus and leaned back on him. We don't have that for any other, other disciples. Even John, James, and Peter were the three uh, disciples that were closest to Jesus. John was the closest of all of them. And so we're just thankful that the Holy Spirit moved upon John to write this gospel. So what are the major things that John wants to get across to the people as they read the book of John? There were nine things, and we're just going to recap those very quickly. Jesus is eternal and uncreated. That is, Jesus existed before the world began. Verses 1 through 3. Jesus possesses deity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In his deity, Jesus has absolute authority over all things that were created because the word says, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is a separate being from the Father, as we see very clearly at the baptism. At the baptism when John told that the heavens opened up and John and Jesus saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus as a dove. So we have Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. We have the Holy Spirit beautifully coming down and descending upon Jesus. And then we have God the Father, who says, This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present at the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as I said, is an active force in all creation. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the word, John declares. And then when you go to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning... John is clearly connecting Jesus to the very beginning. Jesus is a source of truth and understanding of God's will. 
But he says, I am the truth. No other person who came through all of history, Confucius or anyone else, said, I am the truth. Jesus is the bread of life that came down from heaven. He is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the light. Jesus is a source of life by which we, as sinners, can have a relationship with God. It is only through Jesus Christ that man can have that restored relationship that was broken through Adam, the first man. But thanks be to God, through Jesus, we are restored back to God the Father in a right relationship. We believe in, and, and declare the scripture to be true as it says that Jesus was begotten of God. He is the only son of God and he was born through a virgin. The Virgin Mary, when the Holy Spirit, the, the scripture tells us the Holy Spirit came upon her and was, she was conceived with a child. Incarnate is what we call it. And then Jesus was rejected by men. Jesus came unto his own. The very people who should have known who he was because of the Old Testament and the scripture. All things in scripture that needed to be fulfilled before Jesus was born was fulfilled. When they wanted to stone him, Jesus asked him, why do you stone me? Do you stone me for the works that I did? They said, no, we don't stone you for the work you did. We stone you because you declared yourself to be one with God. But Jesus tried to get them to understand, how can I not say who I am? I'm telling you who I am, and you cannot deny who I am. I am. Notice that word, I am who I am. Who said that? God said that to Moses, I am. Well, God, who am I going to tell the Israelites like that? Sent me. He said, you tell them, I am. And then what did Jesus say? He said to them, before Moses was, I am. Feed them on top. Thank you, Jesus. Before Moses was, I am. Folks, this thing is so powerful. It's just so beautiful. And then Jesus is the one who can give people the power to become children of God. Only through Jesus can we become the children of God. And we're going to talk about these other things as we go through the remainder of the book of John. But before we go into today's lesson, just let's just say this one more time. Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and nothing that was made was made without him. Through him was all things made. If you only just understand verses 1 through 3, people of God, you get it. Because everything else falls into the end. Okay? So, that's our recap. It took us four sessions to get through uh, a lot of that. Because we want people to truly understand, truly understand who Jesus is. Because as we said before, the other three gospels give you a lot about Jesus. They tell a lot of great stuff about Jesus. But John gets behind the why. So you understand the why of who Jesus is and why he came. Okay, so let's uh, read chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. That's our part 2. That's what we want to try and get through today. And maybe a little bit beyond that, but that's our part 2. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to chapter 1 of John, beginning with verse 19 through verse 28. 
So we're going to start with Tony. If you would read uh, verses 19 through 21, I appreciate that. Okay. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews said, I'm reading the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. Priests and Levites. Levites. From Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And then they asked, when, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Okay, Jewish. The next three verses. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Okay, thank you. Uh, Mama Veronica, you feel like reading 26, 27, 28? Of course. Yes, ma'am. John answered them saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latches I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Beth Abra, beyond Jordan, where John was baptized. Amen. Thank you for the reading of the word. So let's dissect what we just read because there's so much in those verses to be unpacked. So first and foremost, let's understand that John the Baptist testified to the priests and the Levites. They wanted to know who he was and he testified to them that he was not the Christ. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christ to come. They wanted to know from John, who are you? that you are doing the things that you're doing, the baptism, or you're Elijah, or some other prophet. They wanted to know. Okay? The Jews in Jerusalem, that is the Pharisees and the others, they sent priests and Levites to ask John, John, who are you? The very fact that they sent individuals to ask about John and who he was indicate that his preaching had caused a great stir among the people of his time. There was a lot of stir and commotion going on. What in the world is going on? And John said, I'll tell you what in the world is going on. If John was having no effect at all, why in the world would the leaders in his day want to know anything about him? But they were enough to investigate, to try and find out who is this man John and what is he doing? John readily admitted that he was not the Christ. Christ means the anointed one. This is equal to the Messiah, as I mentioned earlier, the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. John knew this was not his position. He was not come to be the Christ. So he did not make false pretensions or intend to be something he was not, nor did he try to exalt himself to that which he was not. This also shows John's honesty and humility because many will come claiming to be the Christ, 
But John had known from his earliest days when the fact that people wondered about who John was shows they were looking for the Christ. It is also important to note that in John's ministry, it was simply to point the way to who Jesus was. And apparently the Jews understood very well the prophecy about Christ the Messiah coming. And they wanted to know. When John was asked who he was, he also said to them, I am neither Elijah nor the prophet. Now this does not mean that John was not a prophet. It says the prophet. And the prophet refers to Jesus. John was not that prophet, but he was a prophet. He was sent before Jesus to declare Jesus' coming. So they wanted to know, since you were doing these things, are you Elijah, who was expected to become before the Christ? And you can go to Matthew and Mark and Luke to read about this. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1, verse 17. That is Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. If you have it, say amen. I'll go ahead and read. We're reading. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to their children and be disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is a figurative speaking that John the Baptist will become before Jesus in the spirit of Elijah. And we know from Old Testament reading that Elijah was perhaps not the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Certainly stands among the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. John was Elijah again in the spirit of Elijah. You can also see this over in Malachi and over in Matthew, and over in Mark. And we read Luke chapter 1, verse 17. Those other scriptures also just reiterates uh, what we just read. But we do know that John's preaching and the things that he taught was the fulfillment of the prophecies that Elijah would come again because later on Jesus said, and yes, he has come. That is, in the spirit. He was referring to John. In the spirit. Of Elijah. So we conclude from that verse, that is verse 21, that John is not the prophet Elijah, but he is a prophet coming in the spirit of Elijah to make the way, to prepare the way for Jesus, to prepare the people's heart to receive Jesus. Once again, before we move from this verse, we need to note John's humility. He did not try to take any honor that was not his or do him, but wanted to ensure that he pointed the way to Jesus. And, and this is what we have to be careful of. Uh, we were doing uh, morning devotion this morning, and um, again, just before we started this session, and as I listened to my wife pray, and as I listened to Miss Lisa prayed, they're absolutely right in that we don't take credit for anything. And so I have to remind myself also, if you receive an accolade, never say, well, thank you. We should say, praise God, and thank God for whatever it is that you are saying something worthy to another person about. 
oftentimes, and I'm guilty, we will say, well, thank you. But it isn't a thank you, Daniel. It should be, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you are doing through your people, through your servants. And so I have to remind myself to be careful that I don't receive any praise, but ensure that I say it is God to whom we owe the glory and the praise. And if you, by chance, are talking to me and you notice that I seem to be taking it, you kick me under the table and say, Dan, that praise belongs to God. It's not yours. Verse 22 and 23. John was a voice crying in the wilderness to make straight the path of the one to come later. Let's just think about this for just a moment. From the time the prophecy was given over in Isaiah that we read earlier, from the time the prophecy was given about one coming to prepare the people for Jesus, we had several centuries. Several centuries. But yet, isn't it beautiful how we can look at the Old Testament and see all those things that are spoken of in the Old Testament regarding the Christ, the Messiah, come true? This is why the scripture can say in the time of the New Testament, that all men are without excuse. You see, because if God had not given us his word, and I'm guilty too, always saying, Lord, why, why don't you perform a miracle? Why don't you do something, do something? If God did that, he would have to keep doing that for every single person that believed, for every single person that has ever believed in all times and all generations since he came. But he said, I am going to demonstrate I am God because I'm a God who declares those things that are not as though they are before it happened. And then God challenges all other gods. Who is a God like me? Is there another God besides me that can do this? I demonstrate my power to you and my existence to you by declaring things that are not centuries, millennia before they happen. Mm -hmm. Such that when they happen, it will be recorded for you as a testimony so that you are without excuse. What we have to do then is pray, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, increase my faith. Ever increasing faith. See, because you can believe and I have faith. And faith without what? Works and it's just dead. So in order to activate the power of God in our lives, we have to have faith. There's an old song, faith, 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 nothing but faith. You don't have to have much. Just use what you got. Faith, faith, faith. Just a little faith. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus put it real simple, though. And I still don't quite get it. And I was listening to someone on YouTube say it took him years and years as a man to understand that that say that Jesus said, if you have the, the faith of a mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain, be thou moved, and in his mood it cast into the sea. But let's understand that what that means. He also said that the, the, the seed of a mustard seed being the smallest of seed, but grows into what? The largest bush in the garden. So that little bit of faith you possess, you possess, you have, is not the faith he's really talking about. He's talking about your faith that grows such that it can move mountains. But we do start with that little faith because he will act on it if we're sincere about it. But the faith that moves mountains is the, is the faith that goes beyond just, Lord, I believe and I have faith in the saying. It's got to be here. I mean, you can almost feel it, slice it through the air sometimes. You know that saying, you can just slice it. It's so real in you. That it comes alive. All right, Lord. That's good. 
John's preaching was actually the fulfillment of prophecies that Elijah would come again. So the text says, why then did John deny being Elijah? He said he was not Elijah, but he was literally not Elijah, but he was coming in the spirit of Elijah. Okay. Isaiah 43, 4. Uh, yes, chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. I'm going to read that. Again, a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. And the rugged places a plain. There again, being prophesied over in Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the path for the Lord. Again, John declares that his work was prepare the way and point to Jesus Christ. Jesus' work, his ministry on this earth was not easy. It was difficult, but God had to prepare the way so that when people heard it, remember now, not all of the Jews rejected Jesus. Many did not believe it. Even the apostles fell away from Jesus. But oh my God, what happened over in the book of Acts? When the Holy Spirit failed. And at first they didn't understand what was happening. And then Peter stood up and talked about the Jews and what they had done to Jesus, how they rejected him. And they were cut to the core and said, what must we do to be saved? And that was the first and the greatest revival as the multitude came to Jesus. But as a nation, the leaders of the Jews, the Levites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and many of the Jewish people did reject Jesus. But remember, it was the Jews who carried the gospel, though we're not us Gentiles. It was the Jews who carried the gospel at that time to the uttermost parts of the world. And then through the Holy Spirit, through much of Paul's ministry, because you remember, Paul was the disciple that God himself called. Jesus Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. you got to read about it if you don't know about it. But, but God called him as the first person to witness besides the apostles and said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Now, why would God send Paul to the Gentiles? 